Psalm 32, verse 1 to 7. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I keep silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me, your strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. This morning, five reasons why Christians lack assurance. What do I mean by that? Um, some people are, are, are very genuine Christians. Um, many, most of us here today um, are very genuine Christians. And we try and follow the Lord Jesus as best we can uh, in our sort of faltering, failing kind of ways. But for some Christians, rather than being um, rather than being solid and firm on their faith and on the Lord Jesus, they're, they're full of doubts and full of worries and full of fears. They worry that God doesn't feel very close. And when I say that God sees you as a beloved child, you struggle to believe that for yourself. You struggle to see yourself in the way that God sees you. And today I want to try and peel away some of those doubts so that you'll be more fruitful and more happy and more confident and frankly would stop worrying it's really important. So my aim this morning is that, is that we should have a right view of ourselves. If you're a Christian, you know you're a Christian. And if you're not, then you'd know that as well. So let me give you, first of all, five, five reasons why Christians lack assurance and are sometimes filled with doubt. Joel, I'm going to get you to do the movement that's simple today. Um, number one, simply enough, because of sin in your life. Okay? Because of sin in your life. For believers, when you sin, when you do something wrong, when the, I don't know, whatever, bitterness takes root in your soul or whatever, what, actually, what happens? What happens? Listen to this. I should have put this on the screen for you. Sorry. Ephesians 4, verse 30. I'll say it slowly. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says this. Do not grieve the, the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling, fighting, slander, along with every form of malice. It's the experience of Christians that when you fall into sin... God feels distance. That's how he's arranged things. Does that mean the Holy Spirit has left you? Does that mean the Holy Spirit is gone? 
No, no, no. According to that verse, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Okay? Imagine like a, uh, you know those old-fashioned seals with wax and the important person will put the imprint of their ring on it or something to show you still get it on really important documents today at the solicitors or whatever. You know, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit because you belong to God. Once you start to follow Jesus, once you're walking with him, you're sealed until the end. But when you sin, you can grieve him. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Grief. To talk about grieving God, making God the Holy Spirit grieve. God, God feels, God experiences deep sadness because of the sin of Christian people. When, when that relationship between us and him is damaged, he feels sad about it. He feels grief about that. Oh, and because that relationship is damaged, it doesn't mean he's going to forsake you forever. Anything like that, sealed forever. But, but when that relationship is damaged, God feels distant. We're going to go back to Psalm 32 that Elsie read for us so beautifully. Um, it's the experience of a, of a man, David, King David of Israel, who sinned. Probably this is after he committed adultery. Uh, and he says this, he says, when I kept silent, so in other words, when I didn't say sorry back to God, okay, so I'm living with this sin in my life. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What is that? Can you see the picture there? When I, when I was silent, when I kept all this in, when I kept it all in, it felt like my bones were wasting away. It felt like there's cancer in my bones, eating me up. That's how it felt. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped like in the heat of summer. You know what it's like on a hot day? You just feel, oh, you just need to sleep. That's how it felt. And when you, when you hold on to sin and you grieve the Holy Spirit, how does that feel? It feels like that. You remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me. If you're heavy laden, if, you, if you're struggling with life, if you're struggling in every way, if life is heavy for you, come to me, says Jesus. My, my burden is light. Well, he is, it's the opposite. When you sin, it's not light at all anymore. It's heaviness. It's weight. The joy of the Lord ebbs away and you feel flat and you feel lethargic and you feel depressed. And your spiritual vitality, your spiritual energy saps away. Because in the end it's all about a personal relationship with God. You have a relationship with God now. And he is holy. He is holy. And if, if, if God is holy and, and, and we are walking in sin, then that's never going to go well for us. You can't expect the benefits of the Spirit while at the same time grieving him. So, 
If that's you today, if that's you today, what do you do? Well, what you do is exactly the same as King David did. But uh, Elsie read for us. Then, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I didn't cover up my iniquity anymore. That's what we often tend to do, isn't it? You do something that you shouldn't, say something you shouldn't, think something you shouldn't. It's all so easy to just cover it up. He says, I, I didn't do that. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I, 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 I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the way out. That's the way out. You start again. You start again. You come back to the cross. You come back to Jesus. Where you, that you come back to the place where you first had your sins forgiven. You come back to him. You know, they called him the friend of sins. And he still is. He still is. And you know what happens when you do that? When you, when you come back to the Lord and you say, Lord, I messed up again. Again. <laughs> when you come back to him, you feel like David did. In that psalm that Elsie read for us, blessed, happy, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them anymore. So really that's the first thing. If God, fe- if God to you this morning, if God feels distant today, then, then maybe that's the reason. And if it is, you'll know it is. You'll know it is if it is. Because you're holding on to sin. And the only way out from that is to repent and start again. Very simple. Number two. Second reason Christians lack assurance. And you might look at that on the screen and think, really? Because you're not looking after your body. When your spiritual life feels like it didn't, doesn't have the sparkle that it used to. It can be sin, but it can be different things as well. It can be physical. You remember the story of Elijah? I think Elijah is the best example of this in the Bible. Um, Elijah, um, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 18, I think it is. Um, amazing story. Okay, so Elijah is this great hero in the Old Testament. Okay, if if you can, I, oh, I'm not sure I've got time to tell the story, but Elijah has this amazing, this fantastic spiritual victory, and in. Uh, 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 it's such a good story. So there's 450 prophets of, of the, the, uh, the Canaanite god Baal, okay? And, and that's an awful, dreadful god who demanded child sacrifice and all kinds of things. Anyway, 450 prophets of Baal on one side, Elijah on the other side. And basically they have a bit of a, a competition, whose god's the best? It's a great story. And um, they build two altars. And, uh, and um, the prophets of Baal start to do their incantations and, and they're, they're crying out to Baal to come and set fire to the, the uh, stuff on the altar. And, um, and, and nothing happens. And they get more and more excited and they start dancing around the, around the altar and even cutting themselves and, and, and all, all this you know, frenzied activity, crying out to the god Baal to do something. And nothing happens. And Elijah talks and says, well, maybe, maybe your God's gone to the toilet. That's what he says. And, uh, and, and, and they carry on for a while and they give up. And Elijah, 
Um, he says, right, pour loads of water on top of the altar. Okay? So they do, they pour gallons and gallons of water on top of it. And he prays, it's like, it's all just exploding fire. Okay? And, and then all the prophets of Baal die. And, and Elijah has to flee because the queen of the country is going to kill him. Okay? So he runs miles and miles and miles and he flees. So, amazing story, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. So he's on the run, he's got a death sentence hanging over him. Uh, and this is what Elijah says, okay? Listen, this is amazing, this is what Elijah says. Bear in mind, he's, he's just had this amazing spiritual victory, okay? He says this, take my life, Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors. <laughs> I want to die. I, I'm, I'm such a spiritual failure. I, I'm... And you think, well, where's that come from? Where's that come from? That's, that's completely the wrong conclusion to come to, isn't it? Given what's just happened, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm ready to, I just want to die. I'm such a failure. That's what he says. You think, well, how is that possible? And, but, but you see, oh, and you feel like you're screaming at him. Like, no, Elijah, you're not a failure. You're a, you're a hero. If you're, if, honestly, if you're fail, your failures are better than my wildest dreams of success, you know, how, how can you say you're a failure? But do you know what God's response is to Elijah? God's response to Elijah is to send an angel who gives him food and tells him to have a rest. Go and lie down for a bit. You need some sleep. That's what you need, Elijah. That's what God tells him to do. And, and, I, and I sort of imagine, you know, what, what if God hadn't done that? You know, what, which is what some of us do, I think, and I have to include myself in this sometimes. You know, if, if God had allowed Elijah just to carry on, you know, just try a bit harder, Elijah. You know, you're not a failure. Well, you're a bit of a failure. Just try a bit harder. Run faster. Pray more. Do more ministry. Do more meetings. Do more work. More soul searching. More repentance. And the result is, I think, Elijah would have ended up killing himself. Literally. Satan is whispering into Elijah's ears, you need to work harder. That's why you feel depressed. That's why you feel down. That's why God feels distant, because you've got a spiritual problem, Elijah. And it's just not true. <laughs> it's just not true. Elijah had a physical problem. You know what, friends? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've got quite a few medics in church today. Uh, you guys know this stuff already, don't you? You know that, that the physical and the spiritual and the emotional are all deeply interconnected together. You know, your body and your soul are not two completely separate things. They're very much interconnected. That, that's, why, that's why sin in David, which was definitely a spiritual problem, was manifest physically. He said it feels like cancer in my bones. And yet, physical problems in Elijah, this lack of sleep and feeling exhausted, manifest themselves spiritually. Because they're interconnected. So this morning, if God feels distant, then very practically, are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you, are you eating properly? Are you eating junk food every day? Because it, it, it all affects you spiritually. You're getting enough sunlight. Honestly, for, for me, 
Okay? I, I've got two big sun lamps at home. Some of you think that's a bit weird. Um, for me, it's really important, especially during the winter, it's really important that I get sunlight. Otherwise, it just makes me feel depressed. And so my, my office faces north. It's awful. So I've got these two bright lights that I put on during the day. It just keeps me sane, honestly. You get enough exercise. You're in good routines. All these things matter spiritually. It'll affect your soul as well as your body. Number three. Number three. Sometimes Christians lack assurance and worry about their salvation because, because they don't have an exciting conversion story. And because you don't have an exciting conversion story, you feel a bit inadequate. Um, you know what? In, in our church, we, we've, we've had some really mind-blowing stories of people who've come to Christ. I mean, Simon, my colleague who's gone off to do Hope Church, that most of you know. Um, Simon, at one point, I, I think I'm right in saying this, Simon was given two weeks to live because of his alcoholism. Um, you know, he, he literally came within a couple of weeks of death through alcoholism, and the Lord saved him out of that. And honestly, some, some, some of you, as I, I look around, and I'm not going to name names, but honestly, some of you were thieves and drunks and, and a whole host of other things besides. Um, and, and, and there are some amazing, amazing testimonies from our church here. Um, and, and sometimes we share them on social media and occasionally they go viral and whatever else. Um, you know, we, we've, had, oh, we've had terrorists here. We, you know, I had a terrorist staying in my house once overnight. It's another story. Um, uh, you know, we've had heroin addicts and, and people who've given their bodies to people for... Uh, for sold their bodies for sex, and all, you know, all kinds of things, you know. Um, the danger, though, with holding up those as the, the sort of gold standard of spiritual experience is that for most people, or at least many people here, that wasn't your experience at all, was it? For many here, it was more like, well, I was a child, and I sat on my mum's lap, aged six or something and um, prayed that the Lord would forgive me and clean me and he did and he has and, and, and he's protected me from all that kind of nonsense and, and, and that's not my experience at all but the problem is then you feel a little bit inadequate maybe because you don't have a spectacular story to tell and maybe for a, maybe for a number here Every amazing conversion story that you see on YouTube just makes you worry that you're a bit of a fraud. I want to just briefly remind you of how the Holy Spirit works in people. So, sometimes, sometimes he does it in very dramatic ways. You think of someone like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a very, very bad man, or Saul, as he was called before. Um, he, he, he murdered Christians, okay? That was, his, that was kind of what he did. Um, uh, and he has this dramatic vision of Jesus, realises he's completely wrong, gives himself to the Lord and ends up writing half the New Testament. Okay? Spectacular story. Um, sometimes he saves very, very bad people. Sometimes the Spirit works in people very, very quickly. I was reading this week the... Um, um, uh, the, pr the prison governor 
in the city of Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. Uh, and and the, the prison governor oversees um, two Christian people getting beaten with rods and not just flogged, but severely flogged. Okay, that's, that's, what he, that's, that's his job. That's what he's doing. He was overseeing flogging and beating of, of, of Christian people. Okay? Um, but within the space of one hour, within the space of one hour, he's become convinced that Jesus is the one true God, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's put his faith in Jesus, woke up his family because it's the middle of the night. He's got them all out of bed and said, we're all going to get baptised right now. <laughs> That's pretty quick, isn't it? I, that's, that's a remarkable story. Acts chapter 16. But in contrast, sometimes it, it's not like that at all. Think of Timothy, um, the Apostle Paul's young apprentice, who, it says, was taught the scriptures by his grandma and his mum and became a Christian when he was very young. I don't think he'd had any of those kind of experiences at that point in Timothy. Well, sometimes God saves very old people like Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an old man with a lot of questions. And there was a long process that he went through. He wasn't sure what to make of Jesus. He had lots of questions, lots of uncertainty. You know, he met Jesus in, in, at night time so that no one else would find out because he just wanted to have like a Private one-to-one -one with the Lord Jesus. But you know what? Three years later, he's a believer and he's helping to bury Jesus' body with dignity and compassion and respect. And, 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 and that long process made fruit in the end, came to fruition in the end. And, and sometimes just the, Lord's, the Holy Spirit just works in people who are ready. Um, Lydia... Uh, again, Acts chapter 16. Lydia is a good woman. She loves God. Um, she doesn't know Jesus. And, and as they're doing a small group Bible study, this is some of you, it says the Lord opened her heart uh, to respond to the message. There's no great drama. There's no bright lights from heaven. There's no sort of having to give up my addictions or you know, whatever else. You know. She's a good woman. She loves, loves God. And... And then a small group Bible study. She just gets it. The light turns on. It's as if in the Bible there are no two stories alike, really. They all seem to be different. They all seem to be different. There's no blueprint for salvation because he is personal and he's individual. So, so let me say to you this morning, if you, you know what, if you've got an exciting, dramatic conversion story... Great, wonderful, wonderful. If you've got a very mundane, in your mind, conversion story, absolutely fine. Don't worry about it. Doesn't matter one bit. What matters is, are you walking with Jesus now? That's all that matters, really. And let me say as well, if you, if you feel like your conversion story is a bit mundane, um, even if you don't think you have a dramatic conversion story, you do. You do, actually. Because everyone, everyone without Christ is equally dead until he makes you alive. Every conversion requires a miracle. 
Don't, please don't ever underestimate the magnificence of what God has done in you. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I was washed, I was sanctified, I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is no way you would have ever worshipped Jesus. There is no way you would have ever stood up in this room like you were half an hour ago, singing the praises of Jesus, unless you'd done something amazing in your heart. Because you were spiritually dead. And he made you alive. Number four. Sometimes Christian people lack assurance because, quite honestly, you're not investing in a relationship. You're not investing in a relationship with God. Um, Jesus warned about priorities. Remember the, the um, parable of the sower? Man goes out throws some seed around. The seed is the word of God. And, and some of that seed grows up, sprouts, starts to grow. But what happens? Some of it is choked by weeds as well, brambles and thorns and all, the, all that kind of stuff. And what happens when you've, when you've got a crop that you want that's all mixed in with a load of weeds? What happens to the crop? It doesn't do that well, does it? It doesn't do that well. It's, done, it's not dead, you know, still carries on. But, but it doesn't bear much fruit, Jesus said. I wonder today, are you investing in your relationship with God? And I, I know, oh man, we have busy lives in our, in our culture. In this day and age, we have busy lives. I, and I, I know some of you older ones say, well, we have busy lives as well. I think it is busier today, in all honesty. But even so, are you setting, the time, are you setting aside time to read the Bible? Do you read the Bible? You know, you're following a, a plan. You know, you've got some kind of devotional guide online or in a book or something. For, I think for most people, when you read the Bible, you need a strategy. Most people need a strategy of some sort, unless you're a real self-starter. You know, because it's a big book, isn't it? You know, you, you, uh, uh, what about prayer? You know, do you, do you pray? Do you pray, actually? It's really, let me tell you, it's really hard to pray on your own. <laughs> really hard to pray on your own. The, the only, okay, for me, the only way I can effectively pray on my own is out loud, mostly in the car. <laughs> okay, I, m maybe some of you are much better than I am at prayer. I don't know, but but for me, that's out loud is the only way that works because if, you try, if I try and pray in my head, I can last about ten seconds before what's for dinner, what, what's this, that, you know, just a million things come crowding in. Shall I tell you what works even better? than praying out loud in the car, though. It's praying with other people. Praying with other people. God, I'm convinced God made us to pray with others. Because <laughs> it's hard on your own. It's really hard on your own. So, so, so my question is, do, do you pray? Do you pray? And do you, do you pray with other people? Because that will be so much easier and so much more effective for you. Are you part of a small group? You know, we, we pray out, out there before the service, 10 past 10, Every Sunday morning, you're welcome to join us for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. We're praying tonight at six thirty. Small groups meet throughout the week. 
Um, and, you know, almost all of us have got friends here. But we, we could quite easily say, why, why don't we get together once a fortnight, once a month, and just, just pray together for 10 minutes. 20, start there, 10 minutes. Do you the world of good, I promise. Well, a fellowship. Are you getting encouragement? Are you in church regularly? I mean, you obviously are here, which is great. But, you know, if... Careful what I say. <laughs> are you in a small group? Do you have the joy of serving with other people? In the kindest way possible, let me say this. If, if, you're, if, if all your spiritual feeding is one or two sermons a month, like an, an hour of sermon a month, or something like that. If, if, that's, if that's the sum total of your spiritual food, in however many hours there are in a month, you'll survive, but only just. You'll survive, but only just. Honestly, it's not enough spiritual nutrition to keep you going. It, it just isn't. It just isn't. You, you know... I, I, if you barely pray and you don't get any fellowship, that is a spiritual starvation diet. You won't thrive. And I know, I know life gets in the way, I get that, but but parable of the sower is there for a reason. <laughs> it's there for a reason. If you if God feels distant today, maybe it's just you you're not investing in that relationship. Number five. And I think maybe this is the Biggest one of all. Uh, number five: Why Christians don't uh, don't have assurance sometimes and filled with doubts, simply because you don't apply the scriptures to your heart. Sometimes Christian people fall into sin, do things that you know are wrong, and you feel bad. And and many people. Many people feel like I've done something wrong, I need to punish myself for that. Like, sure, I, I believe that Christ died for sins, but it kind of feels like that's not enough. I, I need to add to that. I'm going to punish myself a bit as well. He, he was crucified for my sin, but I'm also going to crucify myself a bit. I need to feel miserable for a while. And then I'll be more deserving of God's forgiveness. Anyone recognise that kind of thought pattern? How do you help someone like that? You know, it's tempting to say, it's tempting to say, well, um, you know, if that's you today, we need to pray for you. Pray for you. The Spirit would would uh, bring you some supernatural relief from that. But I think that's the wrong solution. I mean, prayer is always good, but I think it's the wrong solution. This, the solution is believe the gospel. <laughs> believe the gospel. Trust the promises of God in Scripture and apply them to your heart. Let me put this one up. Um, 1 John 1 verse 9. Very, very famous Bible verse. We're just going to hang out here just for, uh, just for five minutes and then we're done. 1 John 1 9 says this if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness it's saying look if we, if we come to God today 
If you come to him openly, don't, don't do like David did and, and hide, hide over your sin. If you come to him openly, honestly, admit what you've done. Oh, this is what I did, and I, you know, oh, did it again, I feel terrible. Um, please forgive me. If you do that, how will he respond? Well, it's, uh, if we confess our sins, how, will he, how he will respond is this. He is faithful. He is faithful. In other words, he will do what he says. He will do what he says he will do. There are lots of unfaithful people in the world. We know that, don't we? But God is not one of them. He is faithful to his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. And trust him. He's faithful and he's just. This is where the rubber hits the road. He's just. The penalty for sin falls upon Jesus, not upon you. When, when, when you confess your sin to God, the penalty for that sin falls on Jesus, not on you. And there's only one penalty for sin. If Jesus is punished for it, then you can't be. Honestly, if it, if it took the death of the Son of God to deal with my lies, our lies and greed and porn and your big fat mouth and whatever else it might be, if it took the death of Jesus, the Son of God, to deal with that, then it, it is unjust to make you suffer for it too. Because it's done, it's dealt with. Everything is complete. He's done it all. He's done it all. It's complete. And, and feeling that you, you can somehow add something to that, like, like let me throw in my self-pity into that equation. That'll make you work. No, 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 no. If anything, that's just insulting to the sacrifice that Jesus has already made. He is faithful, he is just, he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. His response, when you come to him and confess your sin, he will forgive and purify. He, he won't hold that sin against you anymore. That's forgiveness. To say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. I'm going to ignore that. It's as if it never happened. That's forgiveness. And he'll wash you clean. That's purification. That's his promise. That's his promise. It's a promise. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Or do you prefer to wallow in self-pity for a while? In the end, it all comes down to whether you actually believe the gospel. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he forgives freely and completely? Do you believe his word to you? When, when, uh, when you own up to your own sin, he forgives and cleanses and declares you not guilty of that anymore. Do you believe that? You know, over the years I've tried to make it my practice. Because I used to really struggle with this. You know, I'd do something wrong. I think, oh, not again. I'd, I'd just feel miserable for a week or two. 
you know, trying to show the Lord that I, I was really, really sorry, you know, to show him how bad I felt. And I, I read a, a book, I can't remember what the book was actually, but I read a book that really helped me. And it, in, in, in this book he was saying, um, you know what, the, the gap between your sin and receiving forgiveness, it doesn't have to be a big gap. Like, that gap is just filled with your own self-pity. Okay? Get rid of the gap. So, 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 so you, and you can. You can. You can, you can actually... Okay, you do something wrong. Some, at some point today, if, if you are analysing your heart well, if the Spirit of God is helping you well to do that, you're going to mess up sometime today. At some level. Question, what do you do with that? Do you just sort of ignore it for a while? Hope it gets better on its own. You'd say, well, maybe tomorrow will be better. That's this week written off. <laughs> uh, church again next Sunday, we'll fix it all then. Or, or do you say, you say straight away, no Lord, thank you. You died for my sin. I just want to receive your forgiveness now. And move on. And that's right. That's good, and that's exactly what he would have you do. And if, and if you do that well, if you do that well, then, then sometimes you actually get to a point where you are halfway through a sentence, and you think, if I finish this sentence, I'm going to grieve the Spirit of God. And so I'm not going to say that. And you start, start managing to avoid it, actually. You start managing to avoid grieving him and messing up in the first place. I'm working progress on this, as I'm sure most, if not all of you are. But it's important stuff. Don't try and add to the Lord's forgiveness with your own self-pity. Final thing. We all love to feel close to the Lord, don't we? Um, maybe you've had wonderful spiritual experiences in the past. It's a wonderful thing. Um, you may have seen, if you're on social media right now, in a little town called Asbury in uh, Kentucky, there appears to be a rather remarkable move of the spirit going on. And uh, students of all people. Actually, you know what? Most, most, mm, most significant moves of God are among young people. It's true. Not all, most. O over in this small town in America... Um, the, the students at university there have been worshipping and, and, and hearing the word preached and praying and repenting in tears often for, for days and days and days now, 24-7. Um, there's renewed faith, there's people getting saved. Um, almost inevitably, when the world catches on, people will be getting on aeroplanes and going there and trying to catch the spirit or something like that. Okay? that that's what will happen. Um, we'd bust loads of people to it up. Because everybody wants, everybody wants the feels, don't they? Everybody wants the feelings. And I get that. I get that. I don't really blame people for wanting to be part of that. It's a joyfully wonderful thing when the spirit moves in remarkable ways. Well, let me say, what's going on in Asprey at the moment is very unusual. It's unusual. What is much more ordinary is just generations of mundane faithfulness. Generations of mundane faithfulness. Walking with the Lord, encouraging one another, 
in church on a Sunday morning and throughout the week, doing good where you live, where you work, sharing the gospel, fighting your own sin, that's normal Christianity. And sometimes, friends, we just worry far too much about feelings. So our final message today is just don't worry too much about how you feel about your relationship with the Lord today. Just get on and do what he's called you to do. Because that's normal Christianity. Shall we pray? And then we're going to sing. Lord, we, we love what's going on in Asprey at the moment. Uh, Lord, we would love to see more of that here. Holy Spirit, come and make Jesus alive to us, we pray. It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. But Lord, we acknowledge that it's not the normal way of things. So help us, Father, to be faithful to you, to walk with you, to encourage one another, to fight against our own sin, to pray, and to trust your word and apply it to our own hearts, and not to worry too much about our feelings. Lord, please help us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.